Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwa. I'm joined by Patrick Martin. The Huskies continue to take business, take care of business and do it without too much difficulty, beating Miami 72 to 59. The Huskies never trailed and only were tying for 38 seconds. Uh, trend we've seen throughout the, the games this tournament uh, as of late that the Huskies have really barely been getting much of a competition lately. So uh, we'll see what happens in the championship game tonight against San Diego State. But first, Patrick, thoughts and reactions after the Miami game? Man. Um... I think we can safely say that, you know, that wasn't even UConn's best performance mm-hmm. and, and, and they still won by double digits. I mean, goddamn the double digit streak. It's, it's still cooking, baby. A- a- every game against a non-conference opponent, they've won by double digits. Um, it was tight as always early. Um, what for, you know, Andre Jackson picking up two fouls, um, that usually spells trouble. I think the last the last time that happened was the Marquette loss in in the Big East semifinals. So I think a lot of people were worried. Miami was even, or I think maybe even out rebounding the Huskies early. So that had people a little worried of like, okay, Isaiah Wong eventually worked himself into the game. Um, Jordan Miller was you know kind of the as advertised as like the do-it-all guy but i mean they just they kept yukon like they just kept coming donovan Klingon comes in and makes his right plays um nahima lean air balls a three front rims another one and then follows that up with three baskets you know and, and took what the defense was giving him where pump fake two dribbles mid-range you know um Everyone is just playing their role. Even Hassan Diara brought in for defense was enough of a change of pace. I think he only played five or six minutes, but he did his part. Uh, Jordan Hawkins, the Calamari flu game, um, you know, wasn't the explosive lethal weapon that we have grown accustomed to seeing in flashes, but was enough of a threat that Miami had to be, had to look out for him. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, a little sloppy, maybe nerves as far as the turnovers go. You know, not having Andre Jackson out there in the first half kind of probably contributed to that. But we did it. I mean, they're here. Um, did, did, I I don't know about you, but I never once felt nervous a couple times in the second half when Miami had cut it to 10. I think they got it to 8 at one point. It just never looked like there was a time when this, this would be some kind of sustained kill shot that would make this like a, holy shit, we're rolling up by four type of moment. Yeah. I mean, you're worried because you know, Miami can do it. You saw them do it in, in the Texas game. You know that they have a a offense that can, that can put together points really, really quickly if needed, but yeah, UConn, UConn handled them. They were, uh, the Huskies were elite defensively. I mean, that's, I think where they won this game and and to your point about feeling comfortable, why I felt really comfortable early in the game. And then throughout was just seeing Miami's shot selection was terrible. They weren't even getting good shots. I mean, they, they were not making many of their layups, but that's because many of them were very closely contested. Uh, So, you know, they took a large number of layups, but they were not, they were not, not very good shots. 
And that's because they couldn't really get much against UConn's defense. They were really, really struggling to get their shots. So like you said, in a, in a game where some things are going wrong for UConn, uh, Andre Jackson foul trouble, you know, two fouls, four minutes in, that's, that is a very big deal. That is not good. And we did see sloppy offensive play as a result of that. I think there was a little bit of that even when he was in. UConn did have too many turnovers, but yeah, I mean, end of the day, you, you don't see a lot of final four games where the walk-ons make an appearance and that's what they did to Miami. That's what they've been doing to, you know, Gonzaga and Arkansas in the last rounds. Um, feeling feeling fairly good going forward as as you, I mean, based on what we have seen, no reason to believe that this, this train will not continue uh, Monday night. Yes, but, I mean, there is a, well, a little double entendre. There is a Mick Cronin-sized but here, it, not because little Mickey's anywhere near coaching the sidelines. Thank, thank God. But I see so many similarities between this San Diego State team and those, you know, UC teams in the dog days of the AAC, where you know top ten Ken Palm. I know, I know San Diego State is four, but that's at the benefit of you know the March bump. Uh, I think pretty sure they're a top 15 Ken Palm team entering the tournament, but just completely mucking it up, grinding out possessions, slowing things down. I mean, you turn on ESPN, everyone is talking about that. UConn played that style against St. Mary's and it was tough in the first half and they eventually ran them out of the gym thanks to their depth and their size. But San Diego State has better athletes than St. Mary's. The, they don't have, I think they're everyone on their lineup. I saw some crazy stat. I think seven of their rotation players all weigh 220 pounds or more. I mean, they're just, there's, they're a bunch of brick shit houses out there. And that's a lot different than when you're dealing with the St. Mary's defense. So this will be like the final boss. The final hurdle is can you, you know, can you truly exercise AAC demons by beating essentially what is like an AAC style team of just not a lot of aesthetically pleasing basketball, um, but, you know, boring, get the job done, you know, grind, lunch pail. I mean, throw out any kind of cliche you want. That's the type of team San Diego State is. uh, And UConn's going to have to be ready to get down in the mud with them. Yeah, I mean, they're an old uh, team, uh, so quite experienced. I think we have seen firsthand very much uh, that they are not scared of the moment. They've won their final four game on a buzzer beater. That was, uh, you know, not the not the best executed overall as a play, but it went in. Good on, good on them. And uh, look, they also made it here. That's That's the other thing you have got to give it to them. Uh, they, they beat Alabama, uh, they, they beat a really good Creighton team and then they got FAU in the, in the final four, uh, to get here. So they're certainly battle tested. They have, uh, they, they have a, probably a pretty good working theory for how they're going to, um, how they're going to attack UConn. It's, it's right in line with their strategy, which is to slow it down. So, uh, that's something where, again, when we think about how UConn's going to attack that, 
Certainly, we can uh, surmise that it begins and ends with Adama Sonogo, who has absolutely been doing that work all tournament. Uh, I think, you know, you have to just highlight how incredibly dependent he's been uh, throughout this run. 21 points, 10 rebounds last night. Demoralized them with some early threes to just make it, uh, you know, the Adama Sonogo night once again. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's going to be it's going to be uh, a lot of Sonogo again, but uh, interested to hear how you think UConn might might try to uh, attack the San Diego State defense. I think a mistake that a lot of teams have been making as far as Sonogo is they're trying to front him. And Andre Jackson, Tristan Newton, Caravan, they've been so good at those over-the-top entry passes where Sonogo has that little bit of a cushion, they're fronting, drops in his lap, layup. Um, I'm willing to bet that San Diego State will allow these entries, will not try to deny the post, and instead they're just going to you know hold the block. They've got the, the beef to do it. And maybe they send a double, maybe they fake it, but they confuse Sonogo enough because – for as dominant as he's been, he's still thinking out there. So enough, you know, to to make him think, take a couple extra dribbles, slow things down, stall it, where he has to say, oh, okay, I got to find a shooter or something like that. That's how you, that's how you kind of neutralize him, I think. And, and then when you look at the ball pressure, you know, Tristan Newton has been amazing. I mean, what he has averaging 5.8 assists per game in the tournament. Andre Jackson's assist to turn. I think he, I, he has an, an insane amount of assists. Uh, I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but they are still bothered by ball pressure. You know, a hard hedge off of a clinging screen and Tristan Newton has taken two sideways dribbles. And next thing you know, there's a double and there's problems. That's an example of like the, how, UConn's offense can start sputtering and Jordan Hawkins uncomfortable off coming a screen misses a couple. He's a rhythm player. He needs to see a couple go down. If he doesn't attack downhill after that, like he, he, you know, the best thing we saw from Jordan Hawkins, I think all tournament was Arkansas when he turned the corner and he attacked and he had what his first six points were for were free throws uh, more of that. And to kind of just disrupt and scramble a set defense that is probably will be the most physical they've encountered all, all season. Yeah, they, um, I think that the, this is where also UConn's just dudes come into play. The fact that they've got guys who can beat you in a number of different ways, because yeah, again, for, for, for something, for this to, to go in a, sideways direction for UConn, a number of things are going to have to go wrong. Like you said, it's going to have to be some combination of foul trouble, people's shots not falling. But even then, we've seen a Donovan Klingon can come in and really change the course of a game. Like you said, Aline did some really great ha- did some really great things in the Miami game and has been uh, the last few games as well. You've seen great stuff from uh, Calcaterra and Alex Caravan too. I mean, eight 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 points, nine rebounds, another end of half three, uh, another just demoralizing thing that the, that the team does. He seems to like specialize in just doing those and like uh, late game threes that also kind of put the nail in the coffin. So uh, we're just, we're just really seeing the team execute at a high level. E- even Hawkins, when you think about the fact that he was not feeling well, 
and you know clearly and visibly unwell uh after the post game press conferences he just he just sat down you know at the locker room and was like deflated you know like the like the popeyes the popeyes employee after the spicy chicken sandwich came out like that's kind of what he looked like he he was clearly not you know 100% and i think ultimately though you know Yukon just has so much uh so many different ways and that's that's what i think uh gives gives us a lot of comfort going into this Yukon's defense is going to i think be a big problem for San Diego State uh who is not a uh offensive juggernaut they're not they're not bad um they're 68th in the country uh in Ken Palm that's you know that is not bad but i think just what we've seen from this Yukon defense uh and then even just what we saw out of San Diego State, you know, I think in the in the earlier Final Four game, they're they're not uh, they're not a prolific offense, and uh, I could see them having very much a similar offensive night as Miami, who shot twenty five percent in the first half and thirty two percent on the game, and I think that's going to kind of be the key for UConn is that, you know, it's the Final Four, the national championship, nerves, maybe they may fall behind a little, who knows, but. Um, they've they've got so many dudes and uh the defense has been really really consistent lately so um you know they're 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 a five point ken palm favorite seven point vegas favorite for a reason and i think we'll uh i think i like i'd like uconn's chances even to cover that i'd say not that we are condoning or suggesting gambling or making picks or offering them no no not throwing around any nuggies here on live on camera um but I watched the, the final four game and watched a lot of games with, with people who are neutral to negative on UConn, you know, just people that, that they, they want to see they're preying on our downfall. And this is, you know, they, so many have come to me. This sounds like, Oh, people in coffee shops are talking about UConn. I, I hear it overhearing it everywhere. Um, but it's true. People come it's like, you guys just are so, like fun to watch. And I think it's because most times they have five guys out there that you can run a set for any of them. You know, um, they're, they're running sets for caravan that they're also running for Hawkins. Uh, you know, Naheem Aline can kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, Joey Calcaterra. I mean, there, there are so many different plays that you can run that San Diego state tries to take away Sonogo okay, big game for Tristan Newton and Jordan Hawkins or vice versa. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the more underrated kind of like exciting plays in basketball, besides anything athletic base is like a transition three where you get a block and you, you know, go out in the run instead of, you know, putting your head down and driving straight into the paint, you're, you're, you're finding your spot and you're going to your spot in a kick out for a transition three. That is UConn's bread and butter. How many times has there been a Klingon block, Andre Jackson pushing the pace, finding a Calcaterra or a Hawkins or no, I'll challenge you watch Jordan Hawkins when UConn gets the ball, whether off of a turnover or anything, he is just full on sprint to his spots. You know, that is just fun basketball to watch. And then when you couple that with the defense that has taken this, you know, turned the corner, you know, you had my or Gonzaga statistically the best 
offense in the country. Miami, kind of the, the a, a free similar free flowing offense that UConn runs with a bunch of talented shot makers. They, they, they were like you said, they were putting up terrible shots, and we've all we've seen this team in person. You know, that's just because UConn has dudes. I mean, they are physically imposing. This is not, the, you know, the, the teams of the AAC where you have a bunch of slight guys. And granted, that worked in 2014 uh, with Shabazz and, and Ryan Boltwright, but that is a very hard formula to replicate. So it's easy to say when it's all sunshine and rainbows, but you look up and down the roster, this is textbook, you know, how to build a, you know, dominant college basketball team with, you know, this balance I think will be unprecedented. And I just urge people to like, really like sit down a couple of minutes before the game. And be like we are watching, even if they lose one of like the most exciting UConn teams ever, you know, beyond Kemba. And I think Hurley said this in his press conference. It's like, we don't rely on Kemba like moments, no disrespect to cardiac at all, but you know, we don't rely on the drama. You know, we, we've got Hurley said he's got three NBA players and guys around him that perfectly complement those skill sets. So you just have to tip a hat to, you know, the coaching staff, Hurley, the players for buying in because God damn, I mean, this is, this is incredible. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, this team is extremely good. And I think uh, we all have a responsibility to go into our group chats and inform everyone that this is one of the best college teams of the last decade or longer. When you think about the margin of victory that they're putting up in the NCAA tournament right now, uh, the way that they're playing, like you said, this is an extremely good college basketball team. Uh, and we were not saying that a month ago. You know, we were saying this is a pretty good team. To, you know, we were, we were pretty we we're pretty spot on about that. But this is they have re- really reached an excellent level. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it is a, a very impressive roster build. Uh, doing it in the portal era, doing it with NIL uh, and doing a lot of really interesting things, you know, having the two big men, you know, like two big men who, who are just in there constantly and able to make, make things very, very difficult. So there's no, there's no backup. There's no, there's no dip when UConn goes to the bench uh, at the big, having a bunch of guards who can score, having a bunch of guys who can, who can dribble, move, score, play good defense too. Joey Calcaterra, we've seen draw draw a few charges. Um, they they bring it defensively as well. You know, someone like Aline, again, we've we've highlighted him. Um, he also had to D up Wong uh when uh he, he checked in for Jackson when uh he had two fouls. So those guys bring it defensively. They they brought a lot to this team. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I had this take in our podcasts, like one or two months ago, being like, look, here's the deal. There are no good college teams anymore, but now I have to eat my own words. And it's about this freaking UConn team, which is, which is incredible. They're number one in Ken Palm. They're, they're cruising through the NCAA tournament. There's not a team in the nation that, that wants to face them right now. You can talk about, you know, getting lucky with the final four field or whatever, put, put anyone against them. They'd be, they'd be on top. So yeah, ma- masterclass by by Dan Hurley and the coaching staff. They've done a great job on building this team in one up in one year, and on a lot of different X's and O's fronts. Um, you know, Patrick, you you called it when Andre Jackson had his offensive explosion at the end of the the regular season that this is a Final Four team that if they've figured this out, and 
here we are. They have. I do want to talk about kind of the the luck thing that, you know, the, the, the field of 68 and Jeff Goodman and whoever the hell that other guy's name is, was, uh, was talking about, first of all, folks, that's bait. You, you know, don't, don't, it's the classic, um, the, the Tom Hardy, like that, that's bait. Do not touch. Don't touch that. Um, because honestly, like both things can be true. UConn was lucky that they haven't had to face a Kansas or a Houston or a Texas, but yeah, yes. Great. You know, they're the, the best team in, in the field. That also comes with added pressure of like you, you, you have this, you have this route laid out for you, you know, don't fall victim to overconfidence, you know, taking an opponent for granted, not scouting properly. And none of those things have happened. And also with the way they're playing, would you really think Kansas would have given you, you know, would have, you know, put, they probably would have put up a better fight than Arkansas, but UConn probably would have won. Uh, if UCLA beats Gonzaga, it would have been a tough game. But again, who, this is just such a complete team. You can't say, oh, if there was a better offensive team out in the field, UConn would have won. Or, oh, they just haven't, they didn't face any good defenses. And we were talking about this, I think, before the Final Four. It, the, the different styles that they've encountered on this road with St. Mary's is tempo. Okay. Well, they're going to draw on that same scout for the St. Mary's as they, that they'll do for San Diego state. Cause it's a very similar, slow it down, grind it out. Um, you know, Arkansas with their athletes kind of similar vein as Miami uh, with, with, with kind of their, their shot making abilities. And then you look at Gonzaga with Drew Timmy in the post play. I mean, they, they face so many teams with all these unique styles and they're just blowing through them. There's no close games. And I think that cannot be understated. If, if they were squeaking by these teams or relying on buzzer beaters or anything like that, um, you can make a case. It's like, all right, well, yeah, they, they got hot at the right time and, you know, blew through a week tournament, which is what, you know, people say about 2014 or, or 2011 with like, oh, you just rode Kemba Walker. You just rode Shabazz Napier. You weren't that good. Well, look up in the rafters. There's a, there's a banner there. That's what matters most. Um, you can't make those arguments now in 2023. Yeah. I mean, those are obviously, those are, those are non-starters, uh, silly arguments. The, if, if um, Kansas wanted to beat UConn in the Elite Eight or Sweet 16, they should have made it to the Sweet 16 then. And then we could uh, settle that debate. But unfortunately, we will not get that chance. Um, and yeah, I think you bring up such a good point about, you know, the di- all the different styles of play and how impressive it is the way that UConn has conquered all of them. Uh, we tend to focus a lot on things like Ken Palm and, and rankings and ratings and seeds and good or bad or great. But the spectrum is obviously much more nuanced than that. And, you know, this is a sport. There's, uh, you know, real uh, challenges when it comes to being like, I have to figure out how to score against this kind of team or how to uh, how to match up when Gonzaga puts Drew Timmy on Andre Jackson and sags off him, you know, or uh, this team presses more. So we have to figure out what to do that. You know, this team's offensive style is thus and we have to, you know, so uh, the fact that they they have been able to remain dominant across a wide wide range of styles uh speaks to a number of the the strengths that UConn has and really what what is its 
ultimate strength is this versatility that it offers by way of being such a deep team. Uh, and then it has built an identity that in with this, we can be really, really great at defense and rebounding. Uh, those are very good for your efficiency numbers and generally for winning games. And it's working. It's, it's really working very well. Um, again, Dan Hurley, we got to start talking about him as one of the best coaches in the country. Uh, that's what's about to be happening with a top five recruiting class coming in. You're thinking about, you know, UConn next year being one of the top something ranked teams in the country, top five, three, one ranked teams in the country going into next year. Um, this is this is looking like a, a, a playbook that is uh, very strong and sustainable. Yeah, but let's not forget how things looked after 2014. You know, you had the Ferrari in the garage. Um, Daniel Hamilton, you know, committed, you had Jalen Adams, you you know, there were signs of sustainable sustainability after the 2014 title that quickly slipped away. You, you, you never know, but like you said, you know, the, the pieces are in place. Um, and I was thinking about, as you were talking about the, the distinct styles, um, that in alone, almost kind of, I think ends the argument of, oh, is UConn a blue blood or not? I mean, first of all, if Coach K is calling UConn a blue blood, then I think, I hate to say it, but that's kind of a mic drop because that's the ultimate villain. And if he's giving you those kudos, you should probably take it and run with it. But because you know UConn is so balanced, like I, I, when you see teams that have like, oh, they're all they're, they're strong, so strong defensively, or like, oh, they only have a good offense. That kind of shows you that that's a program that can really only recruit certain guys. You know, that they don't have complete basketball players. Maybe they have a defensive minded coach, but they can't find a lot of shooters. At a place like UConn, you have the ability to recruit, recruit complete players. And I think that's what Dan Hurley started to hone in on is I have guys that can do all the fundamentals so that when I coach them up, there are no general weaknesses. And I think that's the biggest definition of like a blue blood, not the, not the number of titles or anything like that, but a program that has consistent balance year in and year out. Not it's like, oh, well, all they have is offense and they just blow teams off the door, but they can't guard sustainable dominant programs are you know elite in both because you 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 coach up the guy you you coach up athletes to be the best you know all of Calhoun's teams had that balance uh you know Kansas Kentucky in their way to the top it wasn't just because oh they had some dominant defense or anything like that they they took basketball players and rounded them out and that's what I think is makes makes the future so exciting is that you, you have a coach who is so focused on bringing in these guys that are just, there's no general weaknesses to their game. So on the, on the UConn 2014 uh, point, uh, obviously, you know, the circumstances are are different. So I think UConn uh, currently will be a little bit more sustainable. One of those being of course, that, that in 2014, UConn has then moved to the American athletic conference uh, which is a factor. Uh, and I think we started to see, even though there were some recruiting wins, even post-2014, um, UConn was not getting, UConn was still losing recruits to 
Seton Hall, Georgetown, Villanova. Uh, and uh, that's something that I do not think will happen. And I think what's really interesting and exciting is recruiting is already at such a very good place and it's only going to improve as a result of this run. And I think uh, both for high school recruiting, which as you know, you kind of alluded to, it's a very crucial part of how Hurley does his, his roster build, but uh, also in terms of finding impact transfers. So I was talking to a friend, you know, earlier and he's, he was lamenting that we, we lose Joey California after this year, but I said, Hey, We'll get you another Joey California. We'll go to the portal and we'll have another one next year. There are probably dozens of West Coast Conference guards. There's going to be a there's going to be role. a there'll be a Mark Montana next year. You know mm. that that wears a cowboy hat or like a Ranch Ryan or something like that. That mm. you know just is a flamethrower off the bench. I mean, He's a ranch guy. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Shout California out. or something. Shout. Yeah, no. I mean, it doesn't have to be California. Uh, you know. Aaron, Arizona. Ooh. There's, there's, there's lots of states to choose from. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, your point stands though. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. So I think, I think UConn in the big East with Dan Hurley, right. They have everything they need. Uh, the league is also getting more exciting. Uh, I think, I think Georgetown hiring Cooley, I think uh, St. John's hiring Patino obviously brings a lot more juice to the league. And uh, those schools, I think, both have the potential to be pretty competitive uh, fairly quickly. Um, and, and Kim English at Providence retaining Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins, which I I, w- I would have bet any amount of money that Bryce Hopkins was. Very surprising. Peace, I'm out. Um, so, you know, some eyebrows being raised there. It's, it's go- going to be an incredibly exciting, you know, five years uh, with UConn in the thick of it. Exactly. And I think that's what's the best part, right, is is right now then UConn looks like kind of the uh, – like it's building the, the team that's the perennial favorite in this very strong hoops-driven league that plays its tournament in Madison Square Garden every year, you know? That's that's all incredible, great stuff. Um, you know, the blue blood thing is a, is a conversation I don't even like to engage. Uh, it's It's a nonsense term to begin with. It doesn't mean anything in any sort of – meaningful sense there's no airport lounge that we get access to as a result of being uh you know fans of a blue blood team or anything like that um it it really just is like lazy media having nothing to sayness and uh speaking at the first shiny thing that they can that they can think of that they attach uh to the name of the school i mean you know talk about the people who were down on this final four as like oh this is so bad for the game losers idiots uh, first of all, and then you have an amazing semifinal game, uh, went down to the wire. It w- was one on a buzzer beater. And then on the other side of it, you've got one of the best college basketball teams of the last decade doing something that has only been done, I think five times or six times since 1985 in terms of winning all of their tournament games by double digits. That's incredible. So this, this final four has, has been great. Um, the scenes, and the vibes here in Houston are are wonderful. Um, all all of the UConn fan base is enjoying the the lovely sprawl of this great uh, city, and uh, looking forward to to another championship where a lot of a lot of royalty will be watching, uh, including myself. But perhaps more importantly, uh, the mothers Napier and Walker. Uh, as well as a lot of program alums. We saw 
Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton, uh, Emeka Okafor, lots and lots of people. Isaiah um, Whaley. Isaiah Whaley. Oh, he was there? Uh, no, he's coming. He will be there tonight. Oh, he'll be there tonight. Nice. Yeah, so we're expecting we're expecting many, many more folks. Who knows? Uh, it's It's been an incredible time. I, and one of those things that's kind of like a priceless experience for fans. Um, been been some great hangouts uh, at the truck yard on Friday and Little Woodrow's on Saturday. And uh, the stadium, you know, it's, it's basketball in a football stadium is not the most awesome thing, but I think we can tolerate it for one more night. I was just about to say, you know, I wanted to get the F and B scene down there. Um, mm-hmm. They were talking about, I think Fanta asked uh, Hurley about like, there's some taco spot nearby that you're going to go check out. And Apparently Hurley's a big tequila guy. That's what oh. he's been saying. He's like, yeah, I might have a margarita or two. Is it, I mean, have you, what, what do you got there as far as food? So, so Houston, uh, I will say, despite the many complaints that people have about it, it's a tremendous food city. It's, it's a very diverse city. So it has lots of different, um, you know, ethnic hubs and places where you can get all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then of course you, Really great, really great Tex-Mex and the like. Um, I uh, maybe you're thinking of Torchy's Tacos, which which I have yet to have, but I have been recommended. We have a uh, we have a set of recommendations on the fast break that we published for uh, for Husky fans. So if you're looking for something to do before or after the game, or maybe tomorrow, uh, we've got something something for you to look at there. Maybe, um, yeah, I'd say the scene the scene's really great. Uh, we had some barbecue catering at the Yukon Blog Villa uh, on on Saturday, and uh, I would say that's been certainly one of the highlights. Has been that that this is quite the food city. Uh, I had Whataburger as well. Uh, can confirm that the rumors are true. It's good um, and a great food truck scene too. You know, lots of lots of food trucks and carts and stands so you know you're out at the bars late at night and you don't need to walk too far to find food so that's that's been some of the the highlights here and then if you're from a if you're one of those coastal elites from a place like new york city or washington dc you also are maybe a little happy with the price of a beverage at your local establishment you find that to be one or three dollars less than you're used to paying on a per beverage basis and uh, that that can be a good feeling as well. Yeah, there's some Cincinnati prices probably <laughs> that that you guys are working with here. I'm 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 well versed in that. Yeah, I'm 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 jealous. You know, I I was not able to come down and join you guys. I'm you know bummed about that. I had some prior commitments. Um, but no, I think I've got my my friends getting together tonight. We're they're all coming to my place. I think we've got some Detroit hot honey deep not deep dish but like the the hot honey Detroit style from one of our solid places here, some extra wings and yeah, no, it'll, it'll be a, it'd be a great night. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of like looking back through. I'm the only thing I'm worried about tonight is the rebounding. You know, UConn has out rebounded every single team uh, since January, but if, you know, considering San Diego state, there are a bunch of Masons with the way they chuck up bricks. If UConn isn't securing those, there's going to be a lot of possessions. 
Um, that was just kind of one random thought that like, you know, if you're monitoring something around the game, keep an eye on that rebounding margin. Um, because I think I, I really don't see a way UConn loses if, if they are out rebounding them because everything else falls into place. It should be a great night. I'm looking forward to it. I, you know what? Oh, it is, it is 501. So I, I might be time to start pre-gaming. Folks, uh, as I mentioned, the UConn blog squad is at a uh, villa. We'll be having some beverages poolside right after this and before the game, getting into that Zen moment. But yeah, this is what it's all about. It's been a really good time. I ran into some, you know, old friends at, uh, at an establishment in Houston last night. Uh, I have, I have multiple friends from college, like arriving over the last 24 hours after the semifinal win. Uh, and, and that stuff is what it's all about. Getting together with friends, cheering, high-fiving, talking trash, realizing that people who root for the University of Miami are massive assholes and losers and uh, enjoying yourself on a Monday night at a football stadium or somewhere else watching the basketball in a football stadium. Yeah, and I this actually will be the first UConn title game I watch with friends. So 99 and 2004 was with family, uh, obviously 2011 was <laughs> five in the morning in France, uh, oh. watching on a laptop with the NCAA stream. Um, apparently, cause as my friends were, as some people reminded me, I apparently woke some people up with the screaming. I don't recall that. Um, but Hey, way of knowing. we have no way you know, of hand up mea culpa. If I did, uh, in 2014, I was unemployed. And wasn't like, didn't in just kind of, I think, watched it by myself. I think uh, my, my, my roommates at that time were, they were salesmen. They were traveling on the road. I didn't want to like go to a bar and spend money that I didn't have. So I kind of watched it by myself and just, you know, enjoyed it. So this will be one with friends. And I encourage everyone listening to, you know, hang out with some people, you know, enjoy those interactions because this is an incredibly historic UConn team. And like I said, just take a couple minutes you know, before the game starts, watch all the previews. I love, you know, when they show kind of like the, I, I know it's corny, but like the, you know, the personality stuff before that stuff is stupid in January and February, whatever. But when you're in the title game, yeah, embrace it. You know, anything corny, you know, put on the Yukon fight song, put on that jock jams thing before, do all your traditions because this is, I mean, this is just the best time. That's right. This is what it's all about. A blessing to play in the last game of the season and uh, hopefully one more blessing to win that game, cut down the nets and hoist what would be UConn's fifth ever national championship. That is going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.